Happy New Year to you. At this time, our children can be dismissed to their classrooms. Uh, today, Bill is going to be teaching in the junior high, so junior hires, you guys are good to go. It's great to see everybody. Hope you had a great holiday. Um, ours was awesome, low-key, relaxed, which is exactly what I liked. Got a lot of time to study and get into it. And uh, this, this is the first week of a five-week series called Forward Faith. I'll be bringing you four of the messages, and then actually Chris is going to be bringing you one of them. So uh, tag team back again. It's a song about that. Never mind. Um, anyways, we're excited about it. Let's pray, and then we'll break right into it. Father, we are so thankful that we have the privilege and the opportunity to gather as your people, and we can celebrate your champion, Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to uh, spur one another on, to encourage one another, to remind each other as long as it is today of our first and primary affection. And so, God, I pray that through your word and by the power of your spirit, you would recall and bring things to our hearts and minds that would cause us to treasure Jesus, that would help us, God, in our running the race that you have set before us. We trust you in all things, God, and to the degree and the ways in which we don't, we ask by your spirit that you would work on those today. Help us evermore in this upcoming year to be people who trust you and to be people who obey you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So 1993, I was in junior high going into high school, and, uh, you know, there's always the, the, the um, idea of looking forward to high school. I don't know if you guys felt this, but, like, you know, by the time junior high was done and I was going into high school, it was like, oh, yeah, high school, that, uh, they're in for a treat with me. Um, anyways, but I was in the youth group here, actually here at Parkway Community Church. I'd been going to Quest, and it was the summer, and we're going into uh, the high life calendar. And the first trip that you're able to go on is kickback, which I went on. got an eighth grade girlfriend for three days, then we broke up. <laughs> it was pretty good. But the second trip that you could go on, if you were a guy, was guy's backpack. Now, that's a trip that sometimes comes back, sometimes doesn't. But back in the day, that was a staple trip. That was the trip that eighth graders were like, man, I get to go on that trip because everybody who talked about that trip had a great time on that trip. So there are three eighth graders, and we decided, hey, let's go on that trip. It'll be great. Now, here's what you need to know about me. Outdoors, hiking with a backpack on my back, not a lot of experience uh, at that point in my life. I had camped before, but this was a backpack trip. Now, if you've never been backpacking, think about camping but then you actually have to carry everything that you need for camping on your back. And there's no bathrooms. So that's, uh, it's a great trip. You should all go. But here's what I, so I didn't know what to bring, what you should bring. And they, they had a list that was like, here's things that you should pack. And it was like granola or like oatmeal that you can heat up, right? But then there were all these seniors and junior guys that are like, no, nah, it's not what we do. We get like gallons of milk and we freeze them. And we bring those gallons with us, and it defrosts, and you just put it in the lake or in the rivers. When you get there, it stays cold, and you can eat cereal. And I was like, done, I'm in with that. Frozen milk sounds good. And then I heard some other guys say, hey, you know what? We're so manly. There's one meal I don't even account for. I just bring a whole lot of tackle because I'm going to catch my dinner. And I was like, well, I am a man. So definitely I have to bring in all the fishing equipment. And then one guy took me aside and he was like, dude, you want to be really cool? And I was like, I'm already there, but I'm, I'm interested to hear more. He said, you should freeze a steak. 
And if you freeze a steak and you bring it in your backpack, by the time you get there, it'll be defrosted. And then when everybody's having their like Quaker oats, you'll be like, and then I was like, well, I gotta have a pan. I gotta sear that steak. And then you gotta have butter to put in that. So you get the picture? By the time I had packed and got ready to go on this trip, my backpack was quite heavy. Uh, it was so heavy, in fact, that when I put it on, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I walked around the house a little bit, and I was like, this feels a little bit heavy, but it should be fine. Other people have done it. <laughs> so we pack up, we get ready to go, uh, we get to the trail, and it took 25 steps outside of the van for me to realize I've made a gray bear. Um, two things. Number one, I'm not in shape. That's number one. <laughs> it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, this is hard. Okay, that's good to know. Second is, it would be a lot better if I didn't have 95 pounds of frozen milk and beef on my back. <laughs> and I'm a freshman uh, in eighth grade, not even there yet. And I want to like, I'm like, this is, this is bad. How do I turn around? The problem is, I was 13. I didn't drive. I can't leave. People drove me four and a half hours to get there. And I'm like, well, quitting's not an option. And then I was like, maybe someone will carry this for me. And I look around, and I'm like, they all got their own stuff. <laughs> okay, so I can't quit. I can't turn back. What am I going to do? I'm just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can be honest with you. I thought to myself, how can I get out of this? But here's what's really cool. Uh, there was somebody on the trip that knew I was suffering. Um, and actually, they're here in this room, and that was Carl Wurzbach. Uh, something you should know about Carl is he's, he is in shape, <laughs> and like he does stuff like running and biking for fun, right? So here I am as a freshman, and this happens every year, and I've learned this since I came on, and I eventually became a youth pastor on that trip. You actually assign someone to the people who are going to stay in the back. Deeply offended by that now, <laughs> had I have known, but... In the back of the pack, all the other people are gone, but in the back is just me and Carl. And I'm feeling like, here's this kid who like every step is like, I'm gonna make it, <laughs> right? And he's this guy who's really in shape. And he's, a kid, he's like a gazelle, right? But here's what's crazy, right? When I expected to hear like, you shouldn't have packed that, that wasn't really good, that wasn't a good thing, you know what I heard? You're gonna get there, man. Just take another step. It's actually not that far. It's actually not that hard. There were guys in way worse shape than you that made it. You know what I started to be? I started to be like, I'm gonna make it. That's really good. And there were times when it was like super, like my muscles were burning and we're going up an incline and I'm like, are we going to the heavens? Why do we have to go this high? There are lakes on the ground. There's lakes and valleys. Why did we have to ascend, right? And then you'd hit like a little bit of a plateau and you're like, did we make it? And he was like, that's the first one. You're like, but every single time, you're going to make it. Guess what? You've never been to Fox Lake. It's the best. When you get there, you're so hot right now. You're going to pull that pack up. You're going to run in the lake. It's going to be the best feeling you've ever felt. It's constant encouragement. Like, you're going to do it. You're going to make it. And waited with me, all that kind of stuff, right? And then I eventually got there, and I jumped in the lake, and I thought, that was pretty cool, but, like, I could take it or leave it. <laughs> no, not true. I enjoyed it. Matter of fact, later on in life, that became one of my favorite trips. And as a senior, guess who got assigned to the back of the pack, boys? That was me. And me and my friend Carlos Batley were in the back, and I was like, you're going to make it. It's going to be awesome. 
when you get there, you're going to be able to jump in the lake. And he got there and was like, that's pretty good. <laughs> the reason I tell you that story today is it's a story of endurance. It's a story of starting something and having to finish it. And we are coming to a section in Scripture in Hebrews in which the writer of Hebrews is telling the church, the, 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 the Hebrew church, you started out on an endurance race. Your life in Christ, your life following Christ is a race of endurance. And you've started out and you got to finish it. Okay, that's, a, that's one of the contexts of Hebrew. You got to finish it. You've started something. Well, Christ started something in you is what I should say. Christ started something in you. You've started running this race of endurance. Now let's finish it. And today I want to talk to you about five things in particular. The first two I'm going to talk to you about is how to prepare as a runner. And then the three things after that I'm going to tell you are the three motivations for runners. So how to prepare as a runner. The text tells us two ways that we should prepare and then three motivations for running. But before we get too far into it, I want to talk a little bit about the context of Hebrews up until this point. And you could actually, in one word, sum up all of Hebrews. And it's the word better. All of Hebrews is about how much better Jesus is or how much superior he is to everything else. Hear this. In chapter 1, it says that Jesus is more superior than the angels. In chapter 3, it says that Jesus is better than Moses. In chapter 4, it says that Jesus is better than the Sabbath rest. In fact, he's the true Sabbath rest. In chapter 5, it says that he is the greatest and better high priest. In chapter 7, he's better than Melchizedek. In chapter 8, he's the mediator of a better covenant. In chapter 9, he is the true and better temple. And in chapter 10, he is the greatest and best sacrifice. That's what Hebrews has been saying all along. And the reason the writer of Hebrews has said that is that is true, by the way. It is true that Jesus is better than all those things, but this Hebrew church started to doubt it started to think, is that really true? Is he really better? That's why he spends so many chapters talking about the supremacy of Jesus. How many people in here know that Jesus is better? How many people in here sometimes forget that Jesus is better and let other things crowd into our lives and we forget that? Is that true? Let's do something tonight Say this, or today. Let's say this together. Jesus is better. One more time in the new year, Jesus is, Jesus is better. You thought you were coming to listen, but I'm like, you participate today. Jesus is better. It is good for us to remember that. It's good for us to hear our own lips say it because when we say that, we tell our minds, that's true. And that's what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Listen, now is not the time to doubt. Now is not the time to turn back. Now is not the time to go a different direction. You're on a race. Finish it. And you're going to finish it the same way you started, through Christ. There is no better system. There is no other way to live but with Christ. So this is what it says in Hebrews 10, 19, 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, listen to this, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. 
This is what the writer of Hebrews has been saying all along. Jesus is better. He's so much better. He's with God. He's He's the mediator of a better covenant. He's already with him. And you can have full assurance that if you trust him by faith, guess where you go? Where he is. But we all know, and I know, and you know experientially, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to practically live it every day. And there are a whole lot of concerns and there are a whole lot of things in our lives that cause us to forget that. That's why Hebrews 12 is here. Hebrews 12 is there to remind us. Listen, it says right in the beginning. Oh, if you can go to the next slide for me, Michael. It starts with the therefore. And I just told you all the therefore. Jesus is so much better. Because he is and because we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. The idea is we need to be runners because of who Jesus is. Now, I told you there's two things that I wanted to talk about before we actually talk about the motivations for running. And that is uh, what it is, how to prepare as a runner. And the first one is there's a runner's uniform that you have to put on. I don't know if you know this, but there's a certain uniform that you have to wear as a believer. This is what it says. Right here, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, sings, which clings so closely. If you're going to run a race of endurance, you need to have a uniform that is lightweight. Okay, imagine, um, let's say somebody likes to run long distances. I don't know who that is. That's really gross. But if you like that, if you like to run really far and you like to run really, really distant races, I can guarantee you they don't show up to the starting line in a suit of armor. Because people would be like, that person's dumb. We're going to run really far, and that person is wearing a suit of armor. It doesn't match. It doesn't fit. You have to wear the right uniform. You have to be lightweight. We all watched the Olympics this last year, right? Those super marathoners. They're like in these like little tank tops that aren't really tank tops. Like their bib seems thicker than their outfits. Why? No excess weight. You can't carry on the excess weight. We're meant to be lightweight runners. And here's the idea. Because of Jesus, because he's the remover of burdens, because he's the person who says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, Jesus helps us all to start out as lightweight runners on the race. We all start out as lightweight runners. That's, that's true. That's our uniform. Things are removed, and we have the weights removed so that we can run with endurance. That's the idea. But here's what it says. Let us lay aside every weight and sin. The idea is we're meant to be lightweight runners, but you and I both, through our own actions, attitudes, behaviors, preferences, we can pile the weight back on. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is like, listen, if you want to finish, if you want to get to the end point, you can't carry more than you can carry, right? Like, if I had to go five more steps on that guy's backpack trip, I might have died. I shouldn't have been able to make it. Carl did carry my pack once. Uh, anyways, the idea is, do you get the sense? Does that make sense? Like, you, you couldn't add on any more. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you have to rid yourself of weight and sin. And here's what's interesting Sin we know about, right? Like how many of us in here don't know what sin is? There's actually lists in the Bible. If, you ever cons- if you're wondering like, hmm, I wonder what sins are. There's lists. They'll tell you exactly what they are. The writer of Hebrews isn't talking about specific sins in particular. He's actually talking about just sinfulness that is rampant. 
It's the desire and the attitude of sin. It clings close by. It's, it's always around the next corner. Haven't we found that to be true? How many of you guys have gone through the, like this amazing spiritual experience? God has moved, you're feeling awesome, and then two days later you find yourself doing something you never thought you'd do. Anybody do that? Yes. It's the idea, right? So the writer of Hebrews says, listen, sin is a reality. It's in a broken world. It's all around you. But if you're going to make it to the end, you can't let that trip you up, which means believer in Jesus, your job is not to carry that burden. Your job is to say, by faith, I know that Christ died for it. It's his, and he wants it for me. He doesn't want me to carry it. And so do I have the faith that when I fail, I'll give it to him, or do I want to prove myself I can do it on my own. I can carry the weight of this. I can carry this burden. No, you can't. No one can ever carry it. Jesus told you you couldn't carry it. But sometimes we try to. The writer of Hebrews says, do you want to finish? Do you want to make it to the end point? You can't do it when you are just laden down with sin. Now, that means some of you coming into the new year, there are some things that you need to think about, and there's some things that you're, that you're doing. And listen, the specifics of what's sinful in your life and what's sinful in my life are going to be different. And so I don't need to list them here. I know that when you're quiet and before the Lord, you know what they are. You do. And guess what? God is not telling you to get rid of it because he wants you to feel punished for what you've done. He wants you to get rid of it because he wants you to finish. Do you want to finish? God wants you to finish too. And he says, you're going to finish with me when you let it go. So what's better than, what's better than holding on to it? We're giving it up to Jesus. But there's a second category. There's sin, but then there's a second category here called weight. Weight and sin. It doesn't say the weight of sin. It says weight and sin. And this is, a, this is a, an interesting spot for us as believers to be. But here's the idea. There are things that we participate in and things that we do that are more or less neutral, right? They're not sinful, but they're not the best thing for us and they weigh us down. How many people know that to be true? You do something in your life that isn't necessarily bad, but you find yourself in weeks and months being like, man, I care a whole lot more about this than I do about God. That's the idea of weights. And here's the interesting part. It's different for everybody. What's a weight in my life might not be a weight in yours. And here's what's great about it. The Spirit of God is the one who does the work to tell you what's a weight in your life. But here's a couple of examples. Listen, I'm going to be really transparent and honest with you. I got rid of social media two years ago. Do you know why? I stopped loving people. No joke. I literally was scrolling and be like, that person's dumb. That person's not smart. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to love everybody. And all of a sudden I see a face and I'm like, whoo. <laughs> but you know what else? That started to affect my heart too. Because when you get yourself into a pattern of like cynicism, it's really hard to break out of it. And so you know what, you ha you know what I had the power to do? Delete it. And you know what happened when I deleted it? I was like, man, life is good. And I would see that person without knowing their intimate thoughts and details about everything that's going on in the world. And you know what I said? I like you a whole lot better like this. Let me hug you. And I felt better about who I was. I'm not saying you need to get rid of social media. I'm giving you an idea. For me, it was a weight. For you, it might be something else. For me, it was that. For you, but listen, what could it be? It could be what you eat. It could be what you drink. It could be what you watch. It could be what you participate in. 
Listen, is your kid in 19 sports that you got to go to Merced one day and you got to go to San Jose the next? You never have time to read the word anymore? I said, wait. These are the ideas. Both of those need to be removed. Both of those are the things that come off to make you lightweight. So as you come to the new year, maybe in the next couple days, could you just take five to ten minutes of quiet and ask the Lord, Lord, what are the sins and what are the weights that in this new year I need to get rid of because I want to follow you? The second preparation in running, I'm calling the runner's resolve. Notice here it says, run with endurance. Run with endurance. If you've ever done anything that's going to take a really long time, you know that you have to prepare for it. You can't just all of a sudden get up one day and be like, you know what sounds great to me? Running a marathon. And then just get out of bed and run a marathon. Chances are you're going to throw out your hammies or whatever else you're going to do. Or like, listen, you could die. (laughs) Crazier things have happened. You got to train for things. You got to get ready for things. So here's, as a a Christian, going into this new year and knowing that the the race of faith is a marathon, we need to prepare our minds. We need to have the runner's resolve that I'm not going to solve every problem today, that there's going to be more things coming tomorrow, but my goal is the long term. There's a finish line in the future, and I want to get there. And the mentality is, I'm not going to be a Christian just for today or just when it's convenient or just when I feel like it, I know that this is the truth and I'm banking my life on it so much so that day by day I continually say, God, I trust in you today. Because we all know that's how you endure, right? Day by day. I have an idea of finishing strong, but if I never, never actually start, I'm not getting anywhere. You eventually have to start, but you start day by day. You will get to the end day by day. And we have to remind ourselves day by day, who is Jesus? Who do I belong to? Who is God? What does he do in my life? And guess what? Sign me up. I'm a runner in the race. We have to have that. But then there's another thing that, I, that it says here. It says, run with endurance the race. The race. This word in the Greek is translated as the race just one time. And that's here. But Paul uses it five other times. Paul's not the writer of Hebrews that we know of. There's, there's no uh, cited writer. But Paul uses this word for race five other places. And I want to read you these, and it'll give us a little bit of an understanding about the race. The first, it says, Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. Paul uses the word race in Philippians, conflict. He does the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Colossians 2.1 says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So you have conflict, conflict, and struggle. And Paul uses it one more way. In 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, 
he says this, fight the good fight of faith. The fight of faith is the same word for race. And in 2 Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. So you have conflict, struggle, and fight. That's how Paul uses that word. Interestingly enough, in the 2 Timothy passage, it says, I have fought the good fight and have finished the race. There's a word race there, and he doesn't use this word. He uses a different word, which means race course. So when the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell people that it's a run of endurance, he's not saying that this is just a race around a track. This isn't just like breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. That's not what this is. This is a conflict. This is a struggle. This is, <laughs> sorry, but you get the picture. It's like I'm, I'm panting and it's not just around a track. It's up a hill and it's through, it's through a bog and it's like all over the place. We're going everywhere, right? That's the idea. And I didn't tell you up until this point, but the Greek word here is agon, A-G-O-N. Add a Y on the end of that, what do you got? Agony. That's where we get our English word for agony, by the way. Does that change the way you think about race? The race of faith is not one that's like, this is so pleasant, I'm having a great time. Instead, it's like, this is really hard, and my muscles are aching, and I'm not sure I can take another breath. Everyone around me seems to be quitting. Right? Do we get that? Now, I just want to say this real quickly. I love life. I laugh a lot. My life is rich. I have great times, wonderful times. I love the church. I love to laugh. I love enjoyment. I like to eat great foods, all of that. So when I say stuff like this, I don't want anyone leaving here being like, Pastor Adam says following God's agony. No. What I'm saying is that there are places and points and times in life where your doubt will be so pervasive and you're wondering where God is will be so present that you think, how will I ever make it? That's the struggle. It's the struggle for faith. It's the struggle for faithfulness. It's the struggle to stay in the race altogether. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I guarantee you at some point in some time you've wanted to quit. The, reader, the writer of Hebrews says, it's gonna be hard, prepare your mind. Wear the right uniform and have a runner's resolve. Okay, that's how you prepare. These next two will be a little, these next three will be a little briefer. But he gives us three ways in which we are meant to run. And the first way that we're meant to run, or the, the motivation to run, is called running with the witnesses. Notice it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Well, in the context of Hebrews, he just finished chapter 11, which is this great chapter about faith. And he mentions Abraham and Isaac and Moses and all of these, David, he mentions all of these people who through their life were faithful. Doesn't mean that they always in every situation and every behavior and every thought did the right thing. It just means that they actually finished. It says, so you're surrounded by all of these people. Because you're surrounded by all these people, run the race. So we're meant to run with witnesses. Well, well what does that mean? Let me tell you what I think it doesn't mean. I don't think that we're meant to run a race assuming that these really faithful people are just watching us and being like, is he gonna mess up? Is, is, he, gonna, is he gonna fail? Because sometimes I've actually heard it preached that way, that there's a great cloud of people that are like, we actually were faithful, will you make it? No, 
That's not the way the word witness is used. Witness is more like they're witnessing to me. A lot like Carl, when he said, you're gonna make it. That's what these saints are doing. They're saying, guess what? Are you tired? Do your muscles hurt? Do you think you're not gonna make it? You will. You're gonna make it. Do you know how we're gonna make it? Because I shouldn't have made it, but by God's grace, I did. And I'm a human just like you. And I struggled just like you. But guess what? I made it to the end and so can you. You can say no to certain things. You you can forego certain things. You can endure. You're going to make it. You can do it. You can do it. Does that change it a little bit? Does it make it exciting? This is the reason why we need to have testimony in church too. It's the reason why you need to surround yourself with a squad of people who are faithful to Jesus. Because you need to run with witnesses. You need to run with people who when you want to fail will look at you and say, not today. And they grab you by the collar and they're like, we're running together for a little bit until you get your legs. And once you get your legs, then they'll let you go. That's how it is in the Christian church. We don't ever see someone struggling and be like, hopefully they make it. As a Christian, we see somebody who is God's elect. We stop and we're like, get in the race. Because guess what? I'm going to make it and so are you. We're going to get there together. And if I had more time, I would like to tell you something else, but I don't have time for it. Boy, but if you want to hear it, I'll tell you later in the the lobby. (laughs) We have to surround ourselves with witnesses, and we have witnesses in the scriptures. You read the Old Testament. Read these deeply flawed people, but read that they made it. If they got there, do you think they got there on their strength or on God's strength? And if it's God who got them there, what does their witnessing tell you how you're going to get there? God's going to do it in you. God's the strength that he provides. So we have to run with the witnesses. Second, we're meant to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Look what it says in 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Up until this point, I maybe have led you to think, man, you can do this. Through your own efforts and through your own striving and through your own decision, you're going to be able to make it. Here's where chapter 2 is extremely valuable. You're only going to make it because of Jesus and as you keep your eyes on Jesus. You can wake up every day with new strength and resolve in your own flesh and your own abilities. You'll never make it. But a weak person with the right vision is going to make it because it's Jesus who supplies, right? Right? It's Jesus who supplies what we need. And so as runners, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Chris talked about this earlier. Jesus was a forerunner of faith. That means as a man, he ran the life of faith. He ran, he accomplished for us righteousness. He accomplished for us the death of sin. He conquered. He was a forerunner. He's actually in a place right now. He's at the right hand of God. That's what this text tells us. He ran the race, he was faithful, and because he was faithful, he conquered death. Sin is gone because of Jesus. And so because of that, we can now look to him. Here's what's really interesting in the text. It's towards the end here of one. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us. Do we set ourselves in the race? We do not set ourselves in the race. The race has been set before us. The text says that Jesus is the author of our faith. You are on the course. 
You are on the course of the great marathon because of Jesus. It wasn't because of you. You didn't decide one day, run sounds good. No, God, through his grace, freely poured out on you, said, come be a runner. I want you to be with me. And he put you on that course. Here's one, one thing I want to say about this before I move on. And that's, since Jesus is the one that sets the course and he's with God, we can be confident that the course we're running in our life leads to where? Where he is. You think about just the simplicity of that? Like, I don't have to trust creating my own course to God. I don't have to somehow figure it out. The course has been set before me. Jesus ran it, and he's there waiting for me. So I can be confident that what do I have to do? One foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. Keep going. And if I endure, I will naturally be in the presence of the Lord. That's a great gift. And the third and final is that we can see from the text that we are meant to run towards joy. See, Jesus, being the founder and perfecter of our faith, ran for joy. It says he was able to endure the cross. He was able to endure the suffering. He was able to endure the shame of all of it because he was looking forward to joy. In no way, shape, or form would we call going to the cross a joyous occasion. You couldn't say that. But what you could say is that Jesus was looking forward to a time when joy with the Father would be all his. And that's what sustained him in the midst of fiery trial. But here's the idea. That's the same thing for us. We have that same motivation. We don't have the same joy as Jesus, mind you. He's got a joy and a supremacy that is just far beyond what we'll ever experience. But we are going to have the joy of being able to see him and be with him. And here's where hope plays a huge part in our running of a Christian life. Is our hope set firmly on the joy that will be ours? Or is our hope set on that this life is going to go the way that we hoped it will? Where are we really setting our hopes and our affections? Joy that's to come or enjoyment that's fleeting? The joy that's to come sustains. The joy that's to come, it helps us to endure, helps us to go through the tough and fiery times because we know that God is faithful and God will take us to where we are supposed to be. That's what it means to be a runner. And there's a whole lot more in my notes that I could say, but I think we've said it. So I have four applications for you today heading into the new year, and these will be brief. Number one is get your uniform right. Some of us are going into 2022 way, way down. We're burdened. We've, we've laid a lot of stuff on ourselves that we have not given over to the Lord. Why not today? Why don't we throw that stuff off today? Second is get your mind right. Some of us aren't ready to endure we're not ready to, to, to step into the race. We don't know what it's going to take. We haven't really counted the cost. Let's just spend a little time doing that. The third is get your people. You want to run with some witnesses, you got to get some in your life. You got to get some people who are going to roll with you through the thick and thin and, and help you and sometimes pull you along. 
when that needs to happen. So get your uniform right, get your mind right, get your people. And this is most important, get your eyes on Christ. Get your eyes on Christ. How do we finish? Looking to Jesus. How will we get there? Looking to Jesus. How should we start out every day? Looking to Jesus. That's our goal. That's what we want to do. And we resolve in 2022 to be people who look to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to share it together in this context. I ask God that you would remind us the life that we are in, remind us who we are, remind us that you have redeemed us, you have brought us into this race, and God, you are going to be faithful to help us complete it. And so we trust you with all things, God, and in every, um, every obstacle in our life, we pray, Father, that you would be with us, you would guide us, and we would worship you. Amen.